Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 29th of July 2011. For newcomers, you should look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and you'll find hundreds of audios for free download where I try and give you shortcuts to understanding this big global system that really reaches over and above all governments. It's been on the go for a long time. It was very quiet in its early days, although they gave us bits and pieces here and there. But uh, really, uh, there's been an awful lot of work put into every single country to make them global and to make them emerge into the system without them really thinking their way through it at all. It's just suddenly there one day and they accept it as normal. And that's how cleverly it's done by stealth. So help yourself to the audios and you can also look at the books I have for sale and discs and hopefully that will keep me going too, trickle on for a few more weeks or whatever. And you can buy them from the U.S. to Canada. You can purchase them using a personal check or an international postal money order, or you can use PayPal to order. Use the donation button you'll see in the comm sites and follow it with an email with name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Remember, straight donations are really certainly welcome and appreciated too. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and you have PayPal once again to order or donate. That's up to you. But we we truly don't uh, get much of a chance. Most folk don't get a chance to really breathe these days and breathe and think as to what's happening in their lives. We get bombarded with little bits and bites of news. And really, the, the, the conclusions to every topic are given to us. You're given your conclusions by experts and smiling faces on television, well-known faces and celebrities, politicians and all the rest of them, until we start parroting the same terms that they give us to parrot. And you'll hear it in everyday conversations, such as global warming, carbon footprints, and all that nonsense. But really, you see, they need this nonsense at the top because they have to give us a vision for their future, not our future, but for their future at the top. Remember Bertrand Russell said years ago that eventually the ruling class will be a separate race, and I think it's basically happened because they certainly have their own rah-rah teams for their in-houses. If you bother to read their speeches to each other, it's quite something to, to see. It's so removed from the average life of America or Canada or Australia or Britain or anywhere else, the ordinary people, uh, that they, they become basically not just a political class in themselves and an economic class, but all, a ruling class, but also really they're a separate class altogether. They've planned the future using think tanks, using their big foundations with unlimited wealth to fund their non-governmental organizations, which then lobby the government, who's standing waiting to be lobbied, of course, to pass laws all over the world. And that's how it's been happening for an awful long time. It hasn't really mattered who voted, voted uh, what party in, didn't matter at all because the agenda's been here and all the top boys who have been picked have been selected long before the public sees them and knows who, who they even are. And Carol Quigley said that the, the leading, uh, the top of all the parties since the late 1800s have belonged to one organization that selects them for their positions. So we're watching the mayhem now because 
It was rather evident, even when the free trade negotiations were signed for the Americas, they wanted to amalgamate the Americas. They're still sinking their money into Latin American countries uh, to make some of them a breadbasket for what's left of America. And uh, Chile will, will take over that responsibility. And then, of course, Brazil as well, as we well know. Our tax money is funding them up to first world status, just like your tax money funded China up to first world status. And, and India, of course, is following along too. Thank you very much to the rest of the world to help fund these countries up to a uh, top status as you, of course, were designed to fall down because if you're simply a service economy, you can't survive for very long. You have to produce, and we're now non-producers. We're consumers, and apparently our, our bosses and leaders and owners are telling us consumers are bad people. Back with more after this break. We're back, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, talking about the big world agenda. And, and basically, most folk, I think, are fatalistic about it because there's not really much you can do about it, in a sense, because the governments that you've had for so long really never represented you. And governments and governance, as I like to call it, is a, a science in itself of what we call conology. They con the public all the time. And what is true, though, mind you, is that like the Club of Rome said that there are so many competing and conflicting groups and subgroups uh, all wanting different things for themselves, special interest groups, uh, that democracy could never work anyway. And therefore, they decided back in the 70s they would have to go post-democratic under authoritarian regimes to get the big jobs done. And that's what we're under today. We're under that system now. They still keep a lot of the small groups, uh, um, special interest groups going, of course, because they need them for conflict creation and for other purposes to change laws, etc. But in reality, what they do in politics is, is really nothing, uh, as we're taught, down at the bottom level via the media. Uh, they have massive think tanks working all the time, and lots of bureaucrats who are lifers, that's their whole life occupation, working in special departments. And that's all they do. Some of them have um, worked for the State Department, for instance. It's all about the year 2050, the year, you know, and way beyond that too. That's how far in advance they work. They work with demographics to see population shifts. We're in the stage of global transformation, which means that um, this massive migration, which they talked about even when I was small, um, and little bits and bites again on television without explaining the whole idea. But under free trade, uh, if you read all the free trade agreements that have been made with the United Nations, uh, they say in every single one, including the NAFTA agreement for Canada, the States, and Latin America, they say about the free flow of goods and labor and services even across borders. And that also, when you go into the United Nations level, you're looking at the free flow of all that between nations across the whole world. But they always come, the richer ones always head for the countries. Even though they're failing and they're going down, they've still got a semblance of a better standard of life, at least for for a while at least. And uh, and so lots of flooding in. Plus, because of the culture industry that was given to bring down the populations in the the first world countries, and and because the people obeyed them awfully well but not having children. In fact, a lot of them have a, a repugnance to children today. Um, they bring in immigrants because they've got to replace uh, the population that get older, and then as they die off, 
They'll need, as they say themselves, and I've read the articles here from the mainstream and from the United Nations, they need younger folk to come in from other countries to pay off the debt. So until folk get this debt and this money system cleared up, you understand we're going to be led by the nose forever and ever and ever. You've got to really look at the head of the snake and find out what, what controls all our lives. It's interesting even pondering uh, what our purpose in life is. And uh, if you ask the economists, they'll tell you what your purpose is. Your purpose is to basically get out of school and work and produce and consume, pay taxes and, and obey the authorities. That's really what it is. And they've classified the world into producers and non-producers, and so right down to service economies, where we're consumers, basically, and we're kind of feeling at that as well, because the economy's shot because of the corrupt banking system, the corrupt politics as well, and... Um, and the fact that we're, we've signed treaties on across the world, the first world countries, even when they're going plummeting down, have to help to pay for these up-and-coming emerging nations, as I like to call them. What that means is the United Nations and the big boys and the bankers have decided to make those countries very rich. And they do it by using your tax money to flow in for investment. They have meetings at the United Nations for the big biz. And uh, what they do is they tell you that uh, for every dollar you invest in this country or that country or this operation, uh, we'll match it uh, with, with dollars from every other country in the United Nations. It cannot fail, in other words. can't fail. But meanwhile, we're plummeting back home as we go through this incredible system where for every dollar printed, a dollar a debt is created and somebody buys the bond. And you'll find often that the lion's share of bondholders are the same uh, private uh, moneylenders that lend to your governments. It's just astonishing how this con goes on and on and on and on and on, and nothing's ever done about it. So how can you do anything about it? Because, you see, they have the power. They own the governments. They own the legal system. They, they, they own academia. They own the whole system. And uh, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. And this is what's happening, too, as they depopulate uh, the rural areas for Agenda 21, the agenda for the 21st century. And this is from the Associated Press. It says rural, rural U.S. is disappearing, and it shows you the population uh, charts and so on. It says rural America now accounts for just 16% of the nation's population, which is the lowest ever. The latest 2010 census numbers hint at an emerging America where by mid-century city boundaries become indistinct and rural areas grow ever less relevant. Many communities uh, could shrink to virtual ghost towns as they shutter businesses and close down schools, demographers say. Uh, more metro areas are booming into sprawling megalopolises, barring fresh investment that could bring jobs. However, large swaths of the Great Plains of Appalachia, along with parts of Arkansas, Mississippi, and North Texas, could face significant population declines. Uh, these places posted some of the biggest losses over the past decade as young adults left and the people who stayed got older, moving past childbearing years. doesn't mention here that the, the young, of course, will not won't, won't have, want children anyway, anyway. Most of them won't want children. For instance, in West Virginia, now with a median age of 41.3, the share of Americans 65 and older is now nearly double that of young adults who are 18 to 24. 16% compared to 9% according to census figures released Thursday in 1970, the shares of the two groups were roughly equal at 12%. So I'll put this link up from there. There's another one from Britain as well on the same topic. 
and sometimes they complement each other what they miss out uh, one all insert more information so I'll put them both up tonight but this is Agenda 21 this is what they wanted and as young flood into the, the cities looking for the bright lights uh, lots of sex and good times and no children of course massive immigration is taking place because uh, they've got to bring them in from the countries that do want children it's that simple and then when you look at this article here too this article is about uh, Michigan, it says, um, a 2010 Michigan State University grad with degrees in international relations and Mandarin Chinese, this guy obviously saw ahead where things were going, Redford spent four months last year as one of 80 American students taking visitors through the U.S. pavilion at the huge World Expo in Shanghai. He returned to East Lansing to work on community building projects among MSU's 2,400 Chinese students and this month's month moved to Beijing, where he's working for a company that seeks out wealthy Chinese willing to invest in America in return for a green card. And that's all you need is lots of cash. And you can just, again, <laughs> I, I always laugh at these people who pretend that they're, they're greenies and lefties and all the rest of it. And at the same time, they're quite willing to let this kind of thing go on where people can't get into the country who are willing to work and investors can come in with a X amount of cash. Anyway, it says, unfortunately for Michigan, Redford's employer is in Wisconsin, which will reap the benefits of his efforts. This is where, where the opportunity was. Redford 22 said an interview from his home in Frankenmuth before he left for China. I'll always be a Michigan guy, etc., etc. His company is First Pathway Partners of Milwaukee, which pursues investments under the federal government's 21-year-old EB-5 visa program. The EB-5 is an employment-based visa. Basically, the EB-5 program offers permanent U.S. residency to foreign nationals and their immediate family members for an investment of at least $500,000. I should add, too, that the government will often match what they put in for their business. In a federally approved project that will create or retain 10 American jobs. 10. 10 jobs. The investor need not take an active role in managing the project. It can be absentee. The regional centers established as investment targets, generally areas of high employment, and Michigan has five of them. Although the program seems a bit mercenary, it's attracting overseas capital to the U.S., which still offers a standard of living with which most of the world cannot compete. And so a way of getting some Chinese money into U.S. economy, although hardly enough to offset all the dollars we send their way for cheaply made, I would put also high-priced, consumer goods. China's economic boom has created a lot of high net worth individuals, Redford said. The people who are generally most interested in EB5 have families that they want to get into the American education system. A lot of investors will do this program for their children. The children don't have to attend school in the state where the investment is made. The visa holder doesn't even have to live here. So that's what's been happening in other countries too. And most folk, again, don't realize that uh, through various other deals they made at the United Nations uh, years ago, uh, foreign investors can can come in and your country will often match them dollar for dollar, maybe even two dollars to one, to start off a business in the States, Canada or elsewhere. And they can get all their families into all their relatives and extended families. That's the deal. And... When you read this stuff too, it's, it's, this is obviously where, the, where everything is going today as we go kind of down. And it's meant to be, a, again, the gap between the rich and the poor, as the UN's always telling us for the last 35, 40 years. They know that because they've been helping to create it. But anyway, it says, state attorneys, generals are negotiating to give major banks 
wide immunity over irregularities. I like how the crime is called irregularities in handling foreclosures, even as evidence has emerged that banks are continuing to file questionable documents. It says a coalition of all 50 states' attorneys generals has been negotiating settlements with five of the biggest U.S. banks that would include payment of up to $25 billion in penalties and commitments to follow new rules. In exchange, the banks would get immunity from civil lawsuits by the states, as well as similar guarantees by the Justice Department and Department of Housing and Urban Development, which have participated in the talks. They're still doing the same scams as before the the crash was created. And it says state and federal officials declined to say if any form of immunity from criminal prosecution also is under discussion. It's because it's not going to be any. The banks are Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, JP Morgan Chase and Ally Financial. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix, reading an article about the banks stopped their gimmicks and their gimmickry and they're after immunity for all their bad loans. They're still pulling out, by the way, and they're pulling the same tricks as they were pulling before the bank crash. And it says, uh, and it's from Reuters, so it says, it reported Monday that major banks and other loan services have continued to file questionable documents in foreclosure cases. These include false mortgage assignments and promissory notes with suspect or missing endorsements, which prove ownership. The Reuters uh, report also shows continuing robo-signing in which lenders, employees, or outside contractors churn out realms of documents. See, they've, they've lost track of who owns them. They kept selling them and selling them and selling them to make massive profits and create the bubbles that they can't find who actually holds the deeds. So they just manufacture them with these, they call them robo-servers or whatever. And it says, um, it says the report turned up several cases involving individuals who were publicly identified as robo-signers a month ago. There's a good job for you, become a robo-signer and just churn, up, churn lots of them out. Rogers found that such activity has continued even after 14 major mortgage lenders signed settlements with federal bank regulators promising to halt such practices and give remediation to some homeowners who were harmed. In response to the disclosure, Senator Robert Menendez, the chairman of the Senate Subcommittee on Housing, Transportation and Community Development, and another senator sent a letter to federal bank regulators asking them to disclose information gathered about banks' foreclosure practices. This is especially important given this week's allegations that mortgage servicers continue to engage in widespread robo-signing despite your assurance that the legal actions would not continue, said the letter, which also cited a report by the Associated Press. Well, it won't go anywhere because at the top, the guys at the top are the big, big bankers who end up um, with the big, big bubble at the top, and uh, they don't want to burst them and lose their big bonuses, so uh, this will just continue. But the government's allowing it to continue, aren't they? It's just astonishing what they're getting away with. It's in your face nowadays, isn't it? That they're, some are more equal than others in such utopias. That's what George Orwell said. And then we also find this one. Senate inquiry finds big companies are taking small business contracts. Federal contracts intended for small businesses are being 
awarded to large corporations, according to a Senate inquiry. They're always having inquiries, but nothing happens. Eh? They're being counted towards the congressionally mandated goal of ensuring that 23% of all federal contracts go to small businesses, the inquiry found. A system that should be, be helping small business is, in fact, doing little more than helping the government play a numbers game, said Senator Claire McCaskill. A chairman of the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Contracting Oversight Subcommittee, which looked into the issue. That's all they do is they have a peek once in a while. At a hearing Tuesday, McCaskill took note of the looming possibility that Washington could default next week on its bills and said, this is a time for all of us to take a hard look at the way the government does business. It's a bit late for that, I think. And uh, it's just astonishing, as I say. You realize that there's nothing happening here that's, that's not meant to happen. Even this long drama... Uh, with uh, will will we get the extra cash to get the budget rolling or not? It's really for the public to, to start biting their nails. It's like a long drawn out soap opera, and uh, I've got a feeling they're going to bring out some new system after this. That's, that's what I feel about it. They're, the game's all ready for some new system. Well, breathe a sigh of relief, and it'll be some temporary bridge that they're going to build as we all go down the tubes. Canada's involved in it because we're tied at the hip with the U.S. with trade. So we'll all go down together, as the old song goes. And in Australia, as they're chasing uh, this invisible gas, there's a tiny, a tiny amount of gas in the atmosphere. Uh, they've made such a hullabaloo about, because any con will do, as long as they're all on board with it. Uh, they're complaining about the, the carbon prices that they're paying already. Tony Abbott says, Draconian Carbon Corp force, a police force for carbon, right, will chase invisible substance. And um, it says Tony Abbott has attacked the sweeping powers of a new carbon tax regulator, questioning how it can effectively monitor invisible gas emissions. The opposition leader this morning lashed the powers of the clean energy regulator, set out in a draft legislative package, likened the body to a carbon cop. Well, that's what they are. They're calling them carbon cops. The new regulator will be able to enter workplaces and compel individuals to hand over self-incriminating evidence and sensitive records. I guess that's your cigarettes and your matches. I mean, this is a draconian uh, new police force chasing an invisible, odorless, weightless, tasteless substance, Mr. Abbott told Nine Today Show. It says, not only is the carbon tax going to be with you every time you turn on the TV, that's like energy tax, because they're, they're, they're not carefully blurring them all together, you see, or open the fridge or get into bed with electric blanket on, there's now going to be a carbon cop. The carbon cop could hit you with 10 years in jail and million dollar plus fines. Coalition Treasury spokesman Joe Hockey also said the government was creating another layer of wasteful bureaucracy. Well, they know darn well what they're doing, but there's, 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 there's a fox behind the madness, believe you me. They know what they're doing. And, of course, it's a great excuse for it because the Club of Rome were the guys who dreamt this whole nonsense up. They were given the task to find a way of getting a global tax going and to change the system and redistribute the wealth across the world to their, to their own international corporations, of course. And, uh, and this is what they picked on. Global warming and carbon came afterwards. Julie Gillard said, Mr. Abbott's criticism of the new powers were remarkable given they were there to protect taxpayers' money. What a liar, eh? But this is the rubbish they put out and call it news. And it's just straightforward, not, not even good chronology, it's sub-chronology. And the whole idea is to getting you talking about it and then getting you arguing about it. And they even give you the arguments to argue about with the fake statistics so that you'll, you can prove by going through over them they're all wrong. They know that too. It's all neuroscience. Anyway, we'll go on to NASA and how they've blown a gaping hole in the global warming theory. 
with their latest findings. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. This is Cutting Through the Matrix and talking about all the, the gas that's given off in parliament buildings and congressional buildings across the world because that's only gas that's really coming out and, and, and exceeding their limit, actually. They're always exceeding their limit, of course. They can't hold on to figures anymore in governments. I don't think they ever could, really. But now, of course, NASA has come out with uh, data that conflicts totally and annihilates all the global warming theories with their special model computers, and specially made ones that give you terrible predictions all the time. At one time in the Middle Ages, used to every king had and queen had a court magician or astrologer, and they had a lot of crystal balls. Some of them looked into bowls of water and could see things, and 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 they'd do charts and all the rest of it to tell you what the future is. And today they they fixated on computers, especially made to churn out bad news, and that's exactly what they want to hear. For power, because it gives them power, you see, over us. NASA satellite data from the years 2000 through 2011 show this Earth's atmosphere is allowing far more heat to be released into space than alarmist computer model have, models have predicted, reports a new study in the peer-reviewed science journal Remote Sensing. The study indicates far less future global warming will occur than the United Nations computer models have predicted and supports prior studies indicating increases in atmospheric carbon dioxide traps far less heat than alarmists have claimed. It won't make any difference, though. Study co-author Dr. Roy Spencer, a principal research scientist at the University of Alabama in Huntsville and the U.S. science team leader for the advanced microwave scanning radiometer flying uh, on uh, NASA's Aqua satellite, reports that real-world data from the NASA's Terra satellite contradicts multiple assumption, assumptions fed into the alarmist computer models. The satellite observation suggests there is much more energy lost to space during and after global, uh, I guess it's warming, uh, than the climate models show. Spencer said in a July 26 University of Alabama press release, and the link is on the site too, by the way, and I'll put all these links up at the end, of the end of the night. There's a huge discrepancy between the data and the forecast that is especially big over the oceans. In addition to finding that far less heat is being trapped than alarmist computer models have predicted, the NASA satellite data show the atmosphere begins shedding heat into space long before United Nations computer models predicted. New findings are extremely important and should dramatically alter the global warming debate. Now it's chiseled in stone because they need some, something to lie about to, to get this socialist world order in, uh, under control. Scientists and all signs of global warming debate are in general agreement about how much heat has been directly trapped by human emissions of carbon dioxide, and the answer is not much. However, the single most important issue in the global warming debate is whether carbon dioxide emissions will indirectly trap far more heat by causing large increases in atmospheric humidity and cirrus clouds. Alarmist computer models assume human carbon dioxide emissions indirectly cause substantial increases in atmospheric humidity and cirrus clouds, each of which are very effective at trapping heat. But real-world data, as opposed to the, to the, the science fiction stuff, real-world data have long shown that carbon dioxide emissions are not causing as much atmospheric humidity and cirrus clouds as alarmist computer models have predicted. 
The new NASA Terra satellite data are consistent with long-term NOAA and NASA data indicating atmospheric humidity and cirrus clouds are not increasing in the manner predicted by alarmist computer models. The Terra satellite data also supported data collected by NASA's ERB satellite showing far more long-wave radiation and thus heat escaped into space between 1985 and 1999 than alarmist computer models had predicted. Together with NASA ERBs and uh, Terra satellite data show that for 25 years and counting, carbon dioxide emissions have directly and indirectly trapped far less heat than alarmist computer models have predicted. In short, the central premise of alarmist global warming theory is that carbon dioxide emissions should be directly and indirectly trapping a certain amount of heat in the Earth's atmosphere and preventing it from escaping into space. But real-time or real-world measurements, however, show far less heat has been trapped in the Earth's atmosphere than the alarmist computer models predict, and far more heat is escaping into space than the alarmist computer models predicted. Anyway, it goes on and on and on. But it won't really matter. It won't really because it's chiseled in stone. It's like greening. If you go on this whole greening agenda, you see, and they've all geared up to that. They were ramping up and working on that agenda for many, many years. You've got the the next part of the Earth Charter to be signed, uh, part two to be signed next year. Uh, Again, with all the top greenies there, and Maurice Strong will be there on behalf of Rockefeller Foundation and the United Nations. And they'll come out with the next bunch of things you cannot do. And, uh, and you should eat meat and, and all that kind of stuff too. And don't breathe too heavily either. You understand we are carbon-based life forms. This is a war on populations. Do you, do you really understand what it's about? Do you understand what it's about really? It's about war on, it's about destroying you. That's what it's about. And the, the world that they're bringing in, of course, after 2050, according to their own projections, doesn't have much of a mention at all about all of us. You know, all of us down below, not the special ones. And that's just the way it is. And I want to mention two of the corporations. This is quite an interesting article. Corporate tax holiday and debt ceiling deal. Where's the uproar? Well, there's no uproar. And it says, uh, uh, have been meaning to write about this, but I'm increasingly amazed at the overall lack of uproar about the possibility of the government approving another corporate tax repatriation holiday. It says, I've been in and out of D.C. a few times in recent weeks, and one thing I keep hearing is that there's a growing and real possibility that a second one-time tax holiday will be approved for corporations as part of whatever sort of deal emerges from the debt ceiling negotiations. I passed it off as a bad joke when I first saw news of this a few weeks ago when it was reported that Wall Street uh, whipping boy Chuck Schumer was seriously considering the idea. Then I read later on that senators were jumping on the bandwagon, including North Carolina's Kay Hagan. This is what Hagan's spokesperson said. Senator Hagan is looking closely at any creative, short-term measure that can get bipartisan support and put people back to work. One such potential innovation is a well-crafted and temporary change to the tax code that encourages American companies to buying or to bring money home and put it towards capital investment and, most importantly, American jobs. For those who don't know about it, tax repatriation is one of the all-time long cons and also one of the most supremely evil achievements of the Washington's lobbying community, which has perhaps told more shameless lies about this one topic than about any other modern history. It says, here's how it works. A tax law says that companies can avoid paying taxes as long as they keep their profits overseas. Whenever that money comes back to the U.S., the companies have to pay taxes on it. 
think it was a gigantic global IRA. Companies that put profits in the offshore IRA can leave them there indefinitely with no tax consequence. Then when they cash out, they pay the tax. Only there's a catch. In 2004, the corporate lobby got together and major employers like Cisco and Apple and GE begged Congress to give them a one-time tax holiday, arguing that they would use the savings to create jobs. They've done this many times over in every country, actually. Congress shamefully relented, and a tax holiday was declared. Now companies paid about 5% in taxes instead of 35 to 40%. Money streamed back into America, but the companies did not use the savings to create jobs. Instead, they mostly just turned it into executive bonuses and ate the cash income. Some of those companies promising waves of new hires have already committed to massive layoffs. It was bad enough when lobbyists started to pull this trick off once in 2004, but in one of the worst-kept secrets in Washington, companies immediately started to systematically offshore their profits right after the 2004 holiday, with the expectation that somewhere down the road, and probably sooner than later, they would get another holiday. Companies use dozens of fiendish methods to keep profits overseas, including such scams as transfer pricing, a technique in which profits are shifted overseas to overseas subsidiaries. A typical example might involve a pharmaceutical company that licenses the rights or the patents to one of its successful drugs to a foreign affiliate, which in turn manufactures a product and sells it back to the U.S. branch, thereby shifting the profits overseas. Companies have been doing this for years to incredible effect. Bloomberg's Jesse Drucker estimated that Google all by itself has saved $3.1 billion in taxes in the past three years by shifting its profits overseas. Add to that the already rampant system of loopholes, and what you have is a completely broken corporate tax system. And the whole thing is predicated on that dirty little secret, the notion long well to all would-be major corporate taxpayers that there would come a day when there would be another tax holiday. At that time, the, the hope is now, according to Drucker, lobbyists met with President Obama last December to ask for another holiday, and now the drumbeats are rolling on the hill for a new holiday to be included in the debt ceiling deal. So, I think it's really business as usual because, it's, it's, again, some are more equal than others in such utopias, uh, and in other words, they get off with an awful, awful lot, whereas a little guy at the bottom pretty well gets away with nothing. And I also want to mention tonight too uh, that if you look up the, the the various treaties the United Nations has signed to do with war and um, atrocities of war and uh, the various treaties I've had since even World War II to do with warfare and what can and cannot be done, you, you'll find that uh, it's illegal to bomb the infrastructure for food and water for uh, any country that you happen to go and attack. It's a war crime. And uh, there they are in Libya right now trying to blast their food supplies away, which they're doing awfully successfully, and their major water supply for for lots and lots of people, 70% of the public. So they're committing, knowingly committing war crimes against humanity. Will anything be done about it? No, because, see, the UN is also on the payroll of the big boys that run the world. And I mentioned an article last week where so many of them were taking massive grants from these private corporations. But, of course, the UN was set up in the beginning to be a front because the big bankers with, with their, who wanted this, this planned world order, this planned economy, this planned society, you see, this orderly society, were the ones who funded communism. And it's far easier to get governments to beat you over the head if you can't pay up than them directly send their heavies into you one by one. 
And that's why they like what they call socialism. And that's also why there's multimillionaires in parliaments in Britain uh, who are socialists and the same in the U.S. It's, it's one big, again, like Russell said, he said they become a separate species after a while because they get brought up on some of the stuff I'm reading to you tonight. They get brought up getting taught this stuff, all the cons, all the angles, all the things that you can get away with because you're too big to fail, in other words. And that's how it's done. And it's all who you know as well. I also mentioned how the European, that rah-rah uh, speech given by the top leader of the European Bureaucrats Association, basically, for the whole of Europe, this new super-Soviet, they call the European Union, uh, that is not democratic but always uses the term democracy to go off and bomb people. And I've mentioned before how they have their own special schools because bureaucrats are intergenerational. They, they marry bureaucrats and they have their offspring, in-house offspring. And then they go to their own in-house schools that we all pay for across the world. Because, you see, these children will grow up to be leaders as well in these, these non-democratic institutions that we have now. Here's an article here about European Union. The United Nations has it too, by the way, a school especially for, for the offspring of United Nations bureaucrats, who then in turn become bureaucrats. And believe you me, they are non-democratic when you hear them talking individually. They, they admit they're authoritarian. European Union officials are worried that the next round of budget cuts, this is, this is the, the bureaucrats, right, will hit their cherished European schools where class sizes of just one pupil are not unheard of. Well, there's an education for you. Uh, this one child's going to be a winner, I'd say. It would be politically incorrect to deny the child of a European Union official religious education in his or her mother tongue. For this reason, the standard threshold for running a course in one of the European schools, five pupils, is often waived. Five to a class. These, there are derogations allowed for religious education, and you can have classes for one or two pupils, said Wolfgang Munch, uh, chairman of the Parents Association at the European School in Willow in Brussels. There might, for example, be a requirement for a class in Orthodox Christianity taught in French. Religion costs four times as much as other subjects, Mr. Munch tells Public Servants Europe.com. Number crunching has become important because there's a downward pressure on the budget of the European school system, schools such as Willow, which caters for 3,200 children have already brought uh, the average cost per child down to around €11,000 per year, says Munch, a saving of around €500. Willow operates with nine language regimes and was designed, he points out, for just 2,400 pupils. That's about all the the, the bureaucrats you'll get in Brussels. The irony does not escape him. While derogations allow for a class size of one, the school is in fact overcrowded. Well, they'll get more money. They'll award themselves more money to build a better school using the taxpayers' money. Two new European schools will open next year, one in Brussels and the other in Luxembourg, bringing another 1,000 children into the system. This expansion in part is a response to the EU enlargement, uh, and it must be funded from an overall budget that is due to increase by around 6%. So they've already given themselves the increase to build them. We are willing to find more efficiencies. We are not loony, says Munch. Uh, Derogations for tiny classes in religion might have to go, but he implies but we want this to happen without compromising the pedagogical achievements of the schools. So we're already in, as Russell said, uh, talking about the elite classes, they'll be, become a separate race, technically. In other words, you'd have nothing in common with them, come on with them whatsoever, really. You couldn't even go into conversation with them because we, we'd appear like cavemen at the level of knowledge that we have 
especially to do with the real workings of the real world, how it really operates. They kind of smile at you, I'm sure, quaintly, like you're a little dwarf or something, but they certainly aren't going to engage in much conversation. It'd be kind of pointless because we're too dumb and gullible at the bottom. And that's why we're created this way by the state and education and the media to be that way. Rather sad but true, isn't it? And also, after this thing happens, of course, in Norway, it says police forces come together to create new regional surveillance units. Very important article. It says Britain's police forces are forming regional surveillance units with the power to carry out covert and intrusive investigations. Detectives believe that the groups will make it easier for the authorities to bug computers, break into properties, and interfere with wireless internet networks as part of counter-surveillance operations, according to documents seen by The Guardian. Until recently, covert investigations were carried out by individual forces in cooperation with the Serious Organized Crime Agency, which is being disbanded. The disclosures have concerned civil liberty campaigners who fear it will lead to an increase in the covert operations. Well, of course it will. I mean, they have, they have vans with all kinds of lookalike computers and all the rest of it. They can swap it on the spot, break in when you're out at the pub or whatever you're doing, and uh, and bug your whole house. And this is, this is the intention of it all. I don't think they even need warrants right now. They want to know how the real, how the new regional police groups will be controlled and monitored. Documents obtained by the Guardian revealed that earlier this month, five forces, Derbyshire, Leicestershire, Lincolnshire, Northamptonshire and Nottinghamshire, formed the East Midlands Technical Surveillance Unit uh, after a series of internal consultations that took place behind closed doors in March. That's your open society for you have things behind closed doors. Detective Chief Superintendent Ian Waterfield of Nottinghamshire Police wrote in an internal paper that the new £2 million a year organisation would improve access to high-tech surveillance as well as the planting of bugs. This is your free and open society. Back with more after this. Folks, we're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. And we've got a caller there from Virginia. Ken, are you there, Ken? Uh, 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 yes, uh, Alan. I, uh, I want to ask if you have any opinion on the uh, very, I, I think, excellent research by Dr. Judy Wood. I have not read her book, Where, the, Where Do the Towers Go?, but I know about her Quee Tom case. And I have read the book, uh, a follow-up. By Andrew Johnson, entitled "911: of Finding the Truth," in which he discusses uh, the objections to her to her uh, theory, which I believe are persuasive. Now, and uh, one of the things that her this book brings out is, is her hurricane at the same time, and uh, and she talks about levitation. Of course, the hurricane could account for the uh, for the uh, automobiles upside down but on the other hand there wasn't any rain and that's the question that I have so I wonder uh, uh, whether you you have a, a view on, on her research uh, because I think she talks about the advantage of free energy not only can we destroy things but also using the, the Tesla 
uh, method. We we can have free energy for everyone. Of course, that's what the oil people and the uh, and the gas don't want. So they they will fight it. So uh, well, you, you'll never get free energy. See, this world and every president, prime and prime minister across the world has signed on to a world of interdependence, which is the opposite of independence. And to, for you to be independent of the system, uh, they'd have less control over you. The world they're bringing in is a world of control for, uh, over everything that, that you need to personally survive and live. And, of course, they'll never, ever allow the public to have any kind of uh, free energy whatsoever. Uh, there's some stories in Canada this has already happened to um, where, where land has been confiscated from a guy who, who put a, a little alternator with a wheel uh, on a, a, a stream three feet wide that fell ten feet into the pool. And uh, the government grabbed all of his land and everything because he was in- interfering with a waterway. Even though the water landed exactly where it was going to land anyway, um, they, they actually uh, confiscated his land. So you're not allowed, under all this greening nonsense, you're not allowed to be independent and free. But uh, I know that um, I know that the, 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 Judy Wood brought up a whole bunch of um, interesting topics to do with the, the, how the metals were just simply uh, melting and evaporating, and, and it's true they were. It's never been explained by by anybody, even demolition experts. They can't say how this, this kind of heat could possibly have been originated from. Cars on the ground were even burned; they didn't have anything fall on them. Um, all their paint was burned off them. Uh, nothing has been explained about this except they got rid of all those cars awfully quickly. Although there are videos up there with lots of them there that were even out, quite a distance away from the site, as as though the, the, literally they'd driven through a fire, a hot, hot fire. So this hasn't been explained at all. We'll never get to the story, but because it's a big, you see, this whole agenda with the greening, uh, austerity, all of that stuff. Um, post-consumer society, the, the global society, um, couldn't have been done without kicking it off with a major apparent terrorist uh, incident. That's what they counted on. Uh, actually, they counted on it and actually said that we need something on the state of Pearl Harbor event to motivate the public behind us. And they got what they wanted. Now they've been at war doing what they call um, revolutionary democracy, which is bringing democracy to those countries that don't want it by bombs and then looting them as well. But, but absolutely, you're, you're right, there's too many unanswered questions. We'll never get all the story, except the official story is bunkum. But thanks for calling. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me here. God or your God, go with you.